How many of you have ever gotten a Christmas gift that you really didn't want or need? Anybody? Gosh. I thought I would start by telling you some examples, but I really decided it would, uh, some of them wouldn't be appropriate. So anyway, uh, I think everybody probably gets gifts that they really don't want during Christmas. And uh, several years ago, USA Today uh, conducted a survey among adults to ask what they do with that not-so-right gift. And uh, these are the results. 31% said they keep it anyway. 30% said they hide it. I found that to be um, very intriguing. They actually hide it. Why? I don't know. But anyway, they hide it. 13% said they just threw it away, tossed it away, probably secretively. But anyway, they tossed it. 12% said they would actually give it away again. That's another way to kind of have a gift to give it away. How many of you have done that? Any confessions? Uh, No one's going to confess it. All right, and 6% said that they actually returned it. Well, every once in a while, everyone receives gifts that they're really not so sure that they want. That is also the case with the figure George Bailey, the character in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, George Bailey had a gift that he wasn't sure he wanted. It was the gift of life. How many of you have seen, how many of you, uh, just I figured probably a large percentage, how many of you remember seeing It's a Wonderful Life sometime during your life? You've seen that movie. All right, 90% of you probably, all right? That's okay if you haven't. The gift that George Bailey wasn't so certain about was the gift of life. Everything seemingly was falling apart in his life, his family, his job. He knew that he was getting ready to lose his business, his livelihood. He now was even facing prison for something he had not done. As a result of this, now his reputation in the community was gone. His family was facing shame, poverty. In great desperation, he goes and he pleads with his arch enemy, Mr. Potter, not Harry, by the way, but anyway, Mr. Potter, the local uh, rich uh, bank officer. He asks him for a loan on his life insurance policy. And Mr. Potter gleefully said, this is a quote, George, you're worth more dead than alive. And with that statement, George Bailey decided that his only solution to all of this negativity and all the problems that he was facing was to go and commit suicide, to throw himself off the frigid bridge in Bedford Falls. So he goes to this bridge, and he's getting ready to throw himself off into the frigid, cold waters below. But as he was doing this, an angel... His angel, God sent to step in and to intervene to stop George Bailey before he could take his own life. So how do you convince a man that the gift he wants to throw away is really far too valuable to be destroyed? The title of my message tonight is, It's Really, It Really Is a Wonderful Life. I want to share with you three points to remember. 
Number one, it really is a wonderful life if you have received new life through Jesus Christ. Following this experience with George Bailey's angel friend, Clarence, the angel's solution was to basically reveal to George Bailey what his life would have been like, what the life around him would have been like if he had never been born. And so he takes him and he shows him the town that he lived in that he'd worked so hard to build and protect. Without his presence, without his life, the town had become a den of iniquity and evil. His brother Harry, who he had saved from falling through the ice, had died because George wasn't there to save him. On and on it goes in the movie where Clarence is helping George Bailey to understand how wonderful life really was. He realized that that which he had been tempted to throw away, the gift of life, actually was too valuable to lose. How does that relate to you and to me? Is it really possible to have a, quote, wonderful life, or is it simply a Christmas movie? I suggest to you that it really can be a wonderful life for those of us who have received new life through Jesus Christ. The Scripture tells us you know the verse as well. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way, Jesus declares. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No, there's not multiple ways. There's not a lot of different ways to get to God. There's only one, and it's all through Jesus Christ. Only through Christ are we offered life, true life. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's miraculous, isn't it? That while we were still in that sinful state, Christ died for us. And of course, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many are in Christ tonight? Good. Anyone who's in Christ, that we are a new creation. That the new creation has come. That the old is gone and the new is here. You see, it is a wonderful life if we have received life from God. New life is available for any one of us to, who makes a choice to commit and to dedicate themselves to believe in what Jesus has offered us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I have had and have and will have a wonderful life, but it's because it's a life that's given through Jesus Christ. The second point I want to leave you with tonight is that it is a wonderful life because, and I'm going to give you several reasons, because, number one, it's eternal. It's a wonderful life because it's eternal. Think about that. Sometimes we really just don't pause long enough to reflect on the eternity of life in general. John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said, as you remember at the, at the tomb of Lazarus, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Me will never die. You see, we understand that life is eternal. That there's different kinds of death. The worst kind of death possible is spiritual death. 
And every one of us have inherited spiritual death. And the only way to be redeemed and released from spiritual death is that we have to accept Christ because he is the resurrection and the life. Eternal life. The truth of the matter is, is that everyone is going to have an eternal life. The question is simply, where and how? That's the scary part, isn't it? That everyone's life is going to live forever. The question is, in what state? But for those of us that have made Jesus Christ our Savior, truly given our lives as Christ's followers, we have the promise and the guarantee of eternal life with Him in heaven forever and ever in His presence. Wow. Eternal life. That's a pretty profound promise. The first reason that our life is really wonderful today as Christians is because it's eternal. The second is because it's a free gift. It's a wonderful life because it's a free gift. Titus chapter 3. I love this. I'll read from verse 4 through verse 6. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you see what that says? It's not because of what we have done that we can have a wonderful life. True life through Jesus Christ is not available because of earning it, because of doing so many good things. Should we reach out to the poor? Yes. Should we do good works? Yes. Should we be a community, uh, contribute to the community and help those that are in need? Absolutely. Should we vote? Yes. But all those things are not to gain us better position, but it's things that we do because we have already received the free gift of life. A wonderful life. Yes. Good works make good sense. But we're saved not because of works, not because we earn it, but it's free. Can everybody say free? Undeserved. It's free. It cost him everything. But it's free to you and to me. The third thing I want you to note is that it's a really a wonderful life because it guarantees us forgiveness. And we just talked last week about the fact that God is faithful to forgive. It's a great reminder. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter's preaching, when he said to the congregation and all those who were gathered together there at the day of Pentecost, he said, what? Repent. Change your mind. Turn away. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you'll receive what? The forgiveness of sins. Wow. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him. In who? In Jesus Christ. We have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that I have access to forgiveness from God. Both eternal forgiveness, I'm forgiven. My sins have been eternally forgiven. No matter what happens in the rest of my life, my sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. But also experiential forgiveness which means that from day to day, as I sin, as I 
make mistakes, as I have a wrong attitude or react the wrong way. Any of you are like that too? I can confess my sin, right? And receive experiential forgiveness. And my fellowship with God can be restored. Praise God for forgiveness through Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. This really wonderful life is good. It's wonderful because it guarantees forgiveness. Number four, it gives us purpose. This wonderful life is wonderful because God gives us purpose. Can you imagine life on this earth with all that we deal with without some sense of purpose? And yet there's so many people who live just that way. Jeremiah makes the promise, and this is a very well-known verse to many because it's so specific in what it tells us about God's heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? To prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Don't you hear in those words in Jeremiah 29, 11 ringing what? Purpose. I've got purpose for you. I've got plans for you. This is not some arbitrary just... You know, you're just here, just whatever you want to do. God has purpose. He formed every creature, including you and me on this planet, with a purpose, with special areas of talent, expertise. Every creature, not just humans. Some animals run, some hop, some swim, some burrow, some fly. But every creation has a particular role to play based on the way that God has shaped them. The same is true for you and for me. Each of us is uniquely designed, shaped by God to do certain things. Before architects design any new building, they always ask the question, right, Stuart? They ask the question, what is the purpose of this building? It would be meaningless for an architect who's tasked to design a building to start designing the building unless they know what the building's for. A restaurant, a hotel, a church, or a government building all would look totally different. They'd all be functionally different, right? Before God created you, he decided what role he wanted you to play on this earth. Isn't that comforting to know? That he actually has already planned out exactly how he wants you to serve him? And the experiences that you've had in life and the talents and the abilities that you've already had in life, even the training that you thought you chose, was actually God providentially, sovereignly planning how you were going to serve Him. You are the way that you are because you were made for purpose. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship. You are a result of his craftsmanship. The word for workmanship in the Greek language is actually the word that we get our English word poem. You're a work of art. You're beautiful. You're a work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. You see, we're not saved by works. We're created with purpose. To do good works. You're God's workmanship. Your handcrafted work of art. We are not assembly line products. We're not mass produced without some thought of future or purpose. 
We are custom-designed, tailor-made, one-of-a-kind. Amen? Hope you realize that you are an original masterpiece, that you've got purpose. I hope that you're discovering what that purpose is. Don't just go through the motions of life. Don't just, you know, I mean, boy, the cycle can just get really, I mean, you know, it's, it can become a rut. Always be mindful of what your purpose is. That's what makes this a really wonderful life. A life of purpose. The fifth reason is because it's abundant. You see, the purpose that Jesus Christ gave us new life for is that not only would we have an eternal aspect of life, in other words, our sins are forgiven, we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be uh, there for the for all of eternity, we're going to be in his presence, and all that's great. But he goes beyond that. He said, not only am I coming to give you eternal life, but I'm also coming to change the way you can live here on earth. And he calls it in John 10.10, abundant life. Simply meaning life to its fullest. A life that's marked by victory, abundance, benefit, blessing. That's God's design for each of us. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And yet, many of us don't live up to our potential. Many of us are simply uh, appreciative that our eternal fire insurance policy is paid up in full, and we don't live like there's abundance available for us, but it is. The third main point I want to leave you with you remember the first one? It really is a wonderful life if you've received new life. And it really is a wonderful life if those five things are included. But also, the third thing, it is really a wonderful life if we choose to lose our life. I know that sounds awfully paradoxical because it is a paradox. It's one of those paradoxes of Scripture where the scripture actually tells us something that sounds very strange. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right, does it? Look at Luke 17, 33. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. The idea here is losing our life for God. We actually have to put aside our will, our life, our ideas, and when we give away our life, we accept his life, that's the exchange that is essential for living a wonderful life. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded daily and weekly that I must lose my life in order to gain it. That's what it's all about. I want to live his life. I think the Apostle Paul said it quite profoundly when he said, for me to die is gain. That's, that's settled, right? But everyone here tonight is not dead yet. We're alive. To die is gain. That's a good thing. That's eternal life. We've covered that. But to live, Paul said, this is the simplest statement I think in the Scripture, but it's so profound. But to live is That sums it all up. You say, well, what's life all about? For me, to live is Christ. 
It's not because I called into full-time ministry as a pastor or a teacher or as an apostle or whatever. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. For me, for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're true followers of Christ, we need to be able to say, for me to live, what's life all about? Isn't that the philosophical question? Everybody says, what's life all about? For me to live, it's Christ. There's no other way to put it. But to live like that means we have to lose our old life. I want to close with a Henry Nouwen. If you're not familiar with him, by the way, I would encourage you sometime. He's um, an incredible author who wrote some really remarkable things. But in an article, he said this about Christmas. I thought I would connect Henry Nouwen to this season. He said, I realize that songs, good feelings, beautiful liturgies, nice presents, big dinners, and many sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope that's based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. That ought to be what Christmas is all about. George Bailey got a wake-up call from his angel, Clarence. When he saw what life would have been like without him, he all of a sudden discovered that life was really more wonderful than he ever realized. I encourage you to let this life that God has given to you and to me be really wonderful. That's how God wants it to be. And without him, it's really not wonderful at all. I think we have an obligation to share that wonderful life with others, don't you? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I know most of you, so I know that you have a relationship with Christ, or else I would, it would be a great time for an altar call, wouldn't it? I hope that we will live like it's a wonderful life. Live that way and share it with others. I don't know that there really is a more opportune time than Christmas to share our faith. Because everyone is at least fully aware of this holiday season. Well, I think we would acknowledge that most don't have a clue what the true, true meaning of Christmas is but it sure gives an entree to discussions, doesn't it? Conversations that we can have that share what we've discovered in our life. We can share it with others. Would you just purpose in your heart with me tonight before the end of this holiday Advent season when we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ? Would you purpose with me that we're going to find at least one opportunity to fully share with someone what Christmas means to us. Not has, haphazardly, not even in a hidden manner, but in a very direct, complete way. We could share with someone what the real truth is and why Christmas is so meaningful to us and how they 
can also have a wonderful life. Wouldn't that be a good purpose to have during this season? Would you agree with me right now? Father God, we're thankful tonight. That realizing your purposes makes this a wonderful life for us. Discovering new life through Jesus Christ and having eternal life through him and the forgiveness of sins makes this life more than wonderful. We thank you, Lord, that it is to be abundant. Help each of us to walk and experience your abundance. And Father, I pray that the good news, the good news about this available, wonderful life through Christ, we purpose to put on our lips, not to hide the light under a bushel basket, but that we would share it freely with others. We take advantage of this Christmas season where people are thinking about Christ to share with them how they can make Christ personal. So Lord, we dedicate this Advent season to you. Let us experience more of you. Let us find our joy and fulfillment in the simplicity of to live is Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.